0: To the CD podcast. I'm Naomi Kalachand and I'm the CD clinical editor. I spoke to Harpreet Channa, who is a pharmacist and executive coach who specializes in mental health awareness and prevention. She talked to me about her own experiences with mental health. You spoke at the pharmacy show at a session called pharmacists can get sick too and you highlighted the issues of no formal support and services available to help pharmacists you touched a bit on your own experience so it would be good if you could talk to me a bit more about that
1: yeah sure um so yeah i was fortunate enough to um i did a couple of sessions at the pharmacy show Um, for the Mental Health Academy, which is my um, organisation that I've created. Um, And I I actually talked about this there in that, I mean, there is support available, of course, to say that there's no formal support. Um, I think we'd be doing a disservice, certainly to, to pharmacy support. There is support out there, but I think it's not as um, either widely known or as or as accessible as we would like. Um, and I think that's what the issue is. And I can only talk again from my own experience. And it's why I now um, talk about mental health so openly and why I try uh, and work on mental health prevention um, with the Mental Health Academy is off the back of my own experience, which um, I obviously wrote an article in the C&D um, that came out in September. And I have to say, Opening up about my mental health um, and my own issues with mental health has been one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do. But the tremendous show of support that I've had since um, I sort of, I don't want to say came out, but I did effectively and, and talk openly about this um, has been phenomenal. Um, I could not have honestly uh, predicted how much support I would receive from from individuals. And, and, and not just that, um, but also i've had people um who've also suffered in the same way but perhaps have been um you know too scared to come to come out and 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 to talk about it so i will come back um to that i just wanted you know you've asked me about my experience so i do just want to start with that and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll sort of move back to come back to um the work i'm doing and sort of uh, how i'm seeing it play out in the rest of the sector okay so um As I outlined in the article, for me, it crept upon me really, really slowly. And I didn't realise what was happening until it was almost, I don't want to say too late, but it was just, it was very, very, you know, fully formed, well-fledged mental illness at that time. And it had started when I was 17 and I was doing A-levels. I'd always been a little bit of a worrier. I'd always been anxious growing up. Um, and I, when I was doing my A-levels, I had quite a bit of pressure in terms of I wanted to get to university, as all um, people doing A-levels do. And I just couldn't sleep at night. I was really struggling with sleep. And my mum was quite worried, so she took me to the GP, who gave me a prescription um, for temazepam yeah. to help me sleep. And I knew even at that time, um, you know, and sort of growing up in the 80s and 90s, I'd seen quite a lot of... Um, you know sort of my mum's generation that took similar types of drugs and I'd seen how addicted they were to them so I was quite scared about this, I was like I don't really want to be taking Tamazepam especially at at 17 at 17 yeah, um, you know just sort of that older generation, you know not necessarily my family but I I just, I'd heard about it, um, you know that people taking these types of tablets and you know so I was like I don't really want to, you know for anxiety and I thought I don't really want to go down that route so I just, I didn't Mm -hmm. um, because uh, I was worried about its addictive properties so um i just sort of battled through my a-levels and i just didn't give it a second thought Mm -hmm. and then it was at university um i lost a very very close family member who was quite young and her death um i really really struggled with that and i think for people who haven't had a bereavement in their close family when it happens for the first time it starts it really makes you start to question your own um morality and you know when things happen to you you start to worry and you know all anyone that studied medicine we generally if you have a headache we think it's a brain tumor it's just one of those things like the more knowledge you have the more you worry um but her death really knocked me for six and I um at that point started to worry about me dying about other people dying and I thought this isn't this can't be normal (laughs) normal in inverted commas but it kept me um awake at night and so it started with insomnia i just could not sleep um and i went to the doctors and they said yep you've got anxiety um you know classic um because you're worrying about death and that's one of the i didn't know this at the time but it's a really big um symptom of anxiety like one of the biggest signs and um yeah so i um did go to the, the the GP again they offered me tablets and i kind of resisted and really my i you know i i did have a little bit of therapy eventually i got put on a waiting list it yeah. took a little while then i had some therapy um for it and i um, on the nhs i was allowed six sessions um thankfully the six sessions were enough to deal with the anxiety as in the the kind of presenting symptom of of the insomnia But it didn't really deal with the underlying cause, as I said to you. I've always been a bit of a worrier, Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't really deal with that underlying cause. And so, what that meant was, um, whilst the the symptom had been had been resolved, I still sort of had this kind of nagging, worrying thing inside inside me,
0: masking it with the with the therapy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And of course, it reared its ugly head again, which it's going to because I hadn't dealt with the the actual cause. And so even throughout my career, particularly when things at work were stressful, um, and I remember my first management position, um, oh gosh, I would do um, days and days on an hour sleep and then I would go and, and try and function in the pharmacy, which is you know looking back on it now I kidded myself to say I'm doing this for the good of my patients you know if I don't go if I don't go and um, turn up at work then they can't open the store then my you know palliative patients can't get their medicine my cd patients who need their cds that trays they need them today um, what will happen and we'll have to try and get a locum and all that other stuff that you sort of tell yourself so I was like, I can't let I can't let my, my boss down, my team down, uh, my patients down. So I, I I can't not, I can't ring in sick because I'm not sleeping. That's not a good enough reason to ring in sick, right? So I went in and I just, and I was in a very, very stressful environment. I was very young. And I think this is the problem with our sector. I uh, was given a management position within, um, let's see now, our three months of me, qualifying yeah, that's okay very, very so yes and I'd started off um I'd qualified in hospital I did um I did about three months in hospital and straight off the back of that did a bit of locuming and went straight into a manager's position and it's quite difficult when you're kind of in your mid-20s I'd had no management formal management training I'd done some part-time work where thankfully I'd done some I'd been an assistant manager, so I'd had some sort of training from from them. But in terms of in a pharmacy, none. There was nothing to prepare me for um, how difficult being a manager in a pharmacy with staff that were 20 years older than me and then had me coming in trying to tell them what to do. Equally, they hadn't had a manager for two years, so the systems and processes within the pharmacy were quite... um, Disorganised, shall we say? So I had to put. I had to spend quite a bit of time changing things, Um, and that was a really stressful environment for me. It's a lot
0: for you to take on.
1: Absolutely, and and the problem with pharmacies were isolated. You know, I was on my own. I had a dispenser. I had two dispensers and a and two counter part time. You know, and two part time counter assistants, but I didn't have anyone else that was kind of my peer that I could really lean on it was an independent so it wasn't like a bigger organization where there might have been other managers kind of nearby I very much was on my own um and that was a really difficult time and that's kind of when the insomnia was at its worst where
0: I was literally as I said sleeping an hour a day um did you feel that the insomnia was creating problems for you in, in work like you know did you find tasks difficult or you know did you make any mistakes or you know did it affect you in any way
1: um it just made me more stressed, I think, because yeah. I, you know, as again, as pharmacists, we are perfectionists. So yeah. we push ourselves to make sure that we do not make mistakes. And I honestly would have headaches within, you know, an hour or so of me being in the pharmacy because I would be pushing myself so much. Yeah. You know, I'd be double checking everything, triple checking everything to make sure that I wasn't making a mistake. Um, You know, and I'm I'm not one of these people that becomes complacent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even if I'd seen a prescription a million times and I had 120 Dosset patients that I used to do weekly, there's 120 trays I would have to check. Yeah. Um, and I was absolutely meticulous with my checking yeah. um, because I was really worried about that um, yeah. and about making a mistake. See how
0: that just goes in a circle? So you sleep oh, less and you get more completely. anxious and then just that just builds up. Completely.
1: You know? And yeah. luckily, I had a couple of friends that worked in a 100-hour pharmacy so that would sometimes have the day free and that would come in for me at short yeah. notice and I did that on numerous occasions where I just would get to midday and think I actually cannot function yeah. I am a danger yeah. I feel like a danger to myself but it's good that and you... I took myself out of that situation yeah. but not everybody uh, Naomi is that lucky yeah. I was able to do that I worked yeah. for an independent I had friends that were nearby that were able to fill in for me at short notice yeah. and I was the one that used to organize my own locum cover now if you're working for an organization where you can't do that and it's they're the ones that organize the locum cover for you to at midday say I need to go home I'm not well um, you know poses a big problem so mm-hmm. I was lucky in that respect that I was able to do that mm-hmm. but you know even at that time did I think about um reaching out to somebody well not really because it's insomnia everybody everybody struggles with sleep problems don't they I'm yeah. no different from anybody else um but it was absolutely having a massive knock on effect in the rest of my life mm-hmm. because you know when you're having that little sleep you crave bad foods during the day um so you know you become quite unhealthy yeah. um and I was struggling to go to the gym I had no energy
0: yeah, I was going to say you
1: probably don't have any energy no gosh no yeah. I never had any energy I it was a stressful shop to work in actually yeah. we had a lot of problems it was on a, a bit of a rough estate and we had a lot of you know demographically there were a lot of problems in that particular area um so I worked there for um a year I was there for a year before I then moved mm-hmm. and started a different job and once I'd started a different job of course the insomnia kind of abated and it went away. But it wasn't long before it came back. Yeah. And about a year and a half later, it came back. And it came back with a vengeance. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the reason I talk about these things creeping up on you, with me, it started off with insomnia. Yes, when I look back on it, there was probably that underlying layer of anxiety that was leaving, leading me to, to, to keep awake at night. But, you know, if you think about insomnia over a, a, a period of time... And you think about, and I can only, only people who have suffered with insomnia can understand what I mean. When you go days and days without sleep, what it does to your body, what it does to your psyche um, is just... I, I can't explain it. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. Yeah. It's really hard to function. Yeah. And there I am working as a pharmacist, and this is a real issue. I know that there are pharmacists, there are doctors, there are other healthcare professionals yeah. that deal with this day to day and have that problem. Um, and so then I started another um, role, and that was a very, very stressful job. Now, it wasn't in practice, but it was a very stressful job, and it was that that um, kind of whilst I was still suffering with the insomnia I then was having to deal with with stress um as well and I knew quite early on in the job that this was a very stressful job and I'm not sure that you know maybe um I'm not cut out for it but you know you don't want to admit that to yourself um and I couldn't certainly admit it to anyone I knew so I I carried on and I soldiered on um that's what most people tend to do don't they they just kind of carry on and just think oh it'll get a bit easier yeah and specifically in healthcare we don't get sick we look after the sick yeah so we can't be sick we've got to be the leaders (laughs) um you know and I'd I you know if you I've had I've been very very lucky to have quite a diverse career so far Mm. um so I've done a number of different roles and um you know at the time it was you know I'd I'd got to a a sort of senior national role at a very young age and it it was very difficult for me to then say actually this is quite difficult and there were very there are various reasons without you know sort of going into them there are various reasons why that role was so difficult um but yeah I I probably should have reached out at that time. And instead, what I did was I enrolled in a mindfulness course because I thought, you know, that's going to help with my sleeping and it's going to help with the stress. And it did. And I don't you know, discredit people that do yoga or meditation or anything like that, um, because anything that works for you and helps to calm you down, I'm an absolute big advocate for. But I did this mindfulness course um, and that did help. And then um, I um, fell pregnant, so I had my son, mm-hmm. and I came back after nine months away. And anyone returning to a role after maternity will tell you how tough it is, yeah. um, because people have been doing your job whilst you've been away, and you have to come back and almost re-establish yourself Um and you know i'd worked hard to kind of build myself um a, a reputation as it were yeah. um and then you have to kind of come back and you almost feel like you're starting again because you've been away and nobody and then people almost forget you yeah. so you feel like you're starting from scratch so um yeah that was a bit of a difficult time and then you know in terms of we didn't have any um, family support nearby so it was just me and my husband my son we were both commuting into london we were both working full time um you know if my son was sick one of us had to deal with that then of course the demanding role um you know i had to be in the office five days a week there was no working from home so it it, and same for my husband so it just made that really really that whole time was was quite difficult um and all the while there's all this kind of underlying stuff that's going on that i haven't really can see what you can see the pattern here yeah i haven't really dealt with but on the surface everything seems fine and i think again people when i talk about it now will say to me but Harpreet, you have, you had have a great life. What 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 could possibly have been getting you down at the time? Um, and I can't I can't explain the cause of it. I think the insomnia had a really big part to play because, as I said, over a long period of time, that really does get to you. Um, but it just crept up on me. And was it postnatal depression? I don't think so. Um, I think I'd actually had symptoms before I fell pregnant, um, and then actually having my son kind of kept them at bay for a bit and it was coming back to work and coming back to the kind of nine to five and the kind of stressful environment that I think was what brought it on more than me having my son um but it did absolutely creep up on me um and I will never forget um there was one particular day and I was on the tube on the way into work and I was listening to just music as you do and it was quite early in the morning um and I just the tears started to fall whilst I was on this tube and it's like packed tube yeah. um, uh, at what well, was like 7.30 or something um, and the tears just felt like I couldn't stop them and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you where they were coming from yeah. and I couldn't stop them and I remember thinking at that point I don't think I'm right yeah. um, you know but again instead of Instead of admitting to myself what was wrong, instead of confiding in other people, instead of seeking support, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what was happening. I think it was the other the problem. I knew that I was, I felt unhappy. Um, you know, I wasn't happy. But I wasn't massively unhappy. Um, There were times where I was unhappy. But what I would do, and it's what I talk about now, I'd put my mask on. And this is why when people say, "Oh, but Harpreet, but you," and I said, "Yes, but that was my mask. Mm -hmm. It's because I didn't let you see what was really going on underneath." So on the outside, I had this great job. I had a house in London. um, Lovely husband. Lovely child. Um, great big family great social life loads of friends you know I had it all holidays abroad nice car nice house, all those kinds of things the material things that we think are important I had all of those um, I'm quite bubbly I'm, I'm a presenter I get up in front of hundreds of people and speak no problem so for me to be the one that actually was suffering like this I think as uh, even now even since I've sort of talked about it in the article I've had so many people come back and say wow, Hopper, you, um, you know, you, you're the least likely person, you know, you're kind of like the life and soul of the party. And I said, yes, but that's the mask I wore. And how many of us are doing the same thing and, right now
0: yeah that's why it's so important i think that you have spoken out about it because there is so many people who maybe feel like oh i have all these things so i shouldn't be feeling depressed or anxious and then they're too afraid it's anything that just gets worse and yeah spirals out of control
1: uh, no absolutely like i said it does creep up on you um and there's a point where you just suddenly realize like for me it was that time on the train and even then it took me a good few months to really go and get you know i i, I was seeing a counselor i started again i mean i went i did go back to the gp um and this is, again is the problem is that you sort of look at where do i go for help um at the time pharmacy support wasn't called pharmacist support and when we were at university we were told about this kind of benevolent fund for pharmacists and we were told that it was a respite a place that pharmacists went for respite if they were sick so in my head it was well that's for terminally ill pharmacists or you know people that have really struggled it's not for me who who's struggling with her mental health I can't possibly contact them um and that's you know and and thankfully pharmacists support are doing a lot of work to to you know reverse that because they understand that that's what students are being told it's not the case at all of course um and they've done a cracking job over the last few years of really increasing sort of their profile um but yeah, so at the time, I didn't realise about pharmacist support. I went online, I looked at things like Mind, and I looked at uh, all those other kind of mental health charities, and I looked at them, Naomi, and I thought, I'm not like that. I'm not chronically ill. I'm not off work. I'm I'm functioning. I'm still I'm functioning quite highly. I get up every day. I go to work. I you know I still have a social life. I go to the gym, and all these are the things that I was doing. Um, and I was like, so I'm still managing to function at that level. So that that's not me so I just couldn't identify with them at all Um, and then as I said I went to the GP because where else are you going to go so I went to the GP and the GP went okay here's some antidepressants which I really resisted um, you know. and they had over the years tried to put me on antidepressants and I've always resisted it, here's some antidepressants we'll put you on a waiting list to be assessed by the psychotherapy service Um, I had to wait a good few months to be assessed, then it turns out it was the wrong service and then I had to go back onto the waiting list to be assessed by the right service Mm. so it took nine months for me to um, be seen by the right person who then turned around and said ah well um, the type of counselling that you need there's a three year waiting list so you're better off paying for it yourself and i just thought i've wasted nine months waiting for something on the nhs which i'm now having to pay for myself and the problem with paying for any kind of therapy or counseling so the good thing about going through this being assessed you're you are given um a, a therapist or counselor whoever it is that that best matches is, yeah. the type of therapy or counseling that you need yeah. when you're when you're paying for it you're just going to go for the person that you know it looks you know i sort of went for yeah. the same thing that they'd sort of um mentioned um and she was a lovely lady and i actually went to her for some time but she wasn't the right person for me yeah. now looking back on it yeah. but at the time i was just thankful for somebody to, speak to yeah. excuse me to speak to um Could I have told my friends and family? I did at the time. Um, And I think it's quite difficult because my friends and family, and I love them to pieces, it's just that they don't necessarily know how to deal with mental health. It's a bit like, well, we don't get it. Like, you know, if you're feeling down, can't you just get up and get on with it? Like, why are you sitting around moping? Just get up and and, and get on with with what you have to do. Uh, It's not that easy. Mm -hmm. And anyone struggling with um, depression or anxiety will tell you Mm -hmm. it's not from a want of wanting to get up and live uh, normal in inverted commas life yeah. of course you do mm-hmm. but there were days particularly Sundays, if we had nothing on i couldn't get out of bed in the morning and i would just be crying yeah. for you know an hours and my poor husband would not know what to do with himself he was like you know look what you know what what is it that allows you know i can't i can't explain what it is yeah. it's it's something and it's everything i can't i couldn't really tell put my finger on it um and so you know he's been an absolute. Tower of strength, um, and I couldn't have, I couldn't be where I am now without him. Um, And I was very lucky that I had such a supportive partner. Not everybody is that lucky, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, yeah, I didn't get I from certainly from the friends and family. Whilst they, you know, they're supportive, um, did they, I mean, I didn't really know what I needed. I suppose that's the other thing. Um, Now, looking back on it, I think all I needed was for somebody to just listen and to say, Look, I'm here for you. I was thinking about you. Are you okay? Yeah, Um, I think. one point if somebody had asked me are you okay i probably would have just burst into tears um but no what it's not really what we do and i wanted to really pick up on this because um if you're working with other people you can see and you can you can generally see when someone's not quite right just ask that question of are you okay sometimes that's all it needs but i think we are particularly the british we're naturally we just sort of, oh, we can't possibly, it's yeah. a bit awkward and, you know, we don't really want, it, you know. don't so, want to, So we just, exactly, or? and we want to be polite, so we just don't say anything, and we just will all say nothing. Or we might say, hi, hi, yeah. hi, how are you doing? And, you know, sometimes on the surface, people say, yeah, yeah I'm fine. But she say, you know what, how are you really? Mm-hmm. Is everything okay? Um And usually, most of the time, that's what people, they just want someone to say, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, Whoa! no, I'm not, or whatever it might be. But, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I started seeing the counsellor, um and she was, she was okay um but for me the turning point really came when um i um started working with a coach because the counselor and therapy and i had a counselor and then i went to a therapist after that um and then i went to a coach so i kind of have been through all three so i'm talking from a place of having experienced all three um the counselor was good at the talking bit yeah the therapy was good at making me comfortable with the past and sort of who I am and, and how I've got here which is absolutely important if if you are plagued by things that have happened to you in your in your past you really do need that kind of therapy and and, and, and counselling to get you past that I would never ever say that you, you wouldn't need that but coaching was different because it moved me from where I was to where I wanted to be and that's what I needed I needed that practical help of look I'm feeling like this and I don't want to be feeling like this anymore I understand where it's coming from but actually now I want to make changes in my life. I want to change the way I think. I want to change the way that I do things. And I just found that nothing else helped me in the same way as a coach did, who made me realise, actually, you know what? And I remember the first coaching thing I ever went to in february 2017 i literally felt like somebody had slapped me across the face and woken me up Mm -hmm. and i'd been living in this just abyss of a few years of real and, and i talk about this when you're in that kind of um depressed anxious stress whatever it might be you are um if you consider a funnel You're at the bottom of the funnel where all you can see, you can't see anything other than you Mm -hmm. because the bottom of the funnel is the narrowest part. And so there's all this stuff going on around you, but you are not open to it and you will not see it because all you are consumed about is um, how awful you are feeling. The abyss, the lack of despair, the lack of hope. Um, You know, am I ever going to get through this? Am I ever going to feel better than this? And it just gets to that point where you're almost so you just want to switch that noise off in your head because that's all you ever hear. Um, and that's a really dark and difficult place to be in. As you kind of come up to the front, as you kind of raise up to that funnel, and you start to open up to other people around you and some of the experiences around you, you just become so much of a more happier and complete person. Yes. And that's what it was for me. Somebody just slapped me. That first event was a bit like, oh my God, I've been feeling like this for years thinking that, i'm at the effect of my my head um and what my mind is telling me and that my mind has told me that this is the only way and it's absolutely false nothing could be further from the truth it's not the only way actually when you understand and realize that everything that you see in your world your reality is actually a product of your thought And it all stems and arises from what you think and what you tell yourself. When you realise that, oh my goodness, you realise that everything is within your power. You can change anything and everything in your life. In fact, there's nothing else that we can control in this life other than what we think and our responses to things. Yeah. You can't control. If you turn around and slap me across the face right now, Naomi, I couldn't stop you from doing that. Yeah. Well, I might do if I, was to, <laughs> you know, if I, if I had good, if I had good you reflexes, I might be able to stop you. Yeah. But no, genuinely, yeah. if you did something to me right now, I couldn't stop you. That, you know, I can't stop that from happening. I can't stop a lot of things from happening. All I can do is change the way that I see things and the way that I respond to things. Yeah. That's all we can do in this life. So did the coaching kind of always give you coping mechanisms? Oh, is that, is, hugely, yeah. absolutely. Um, so partly it was a... I think the thing with coaching and not just any coaching just any personal development work see the thing is we get I like to call this the hamster wheel of life so you know we are taught and conditioned by society you go to school you go to university keep your head down you get your job you know you buy your house you have 2.4 children you live that life and you enter into that eat sleep work repeat cycle okay and that's everybody and we all do that Um, but the problem with entering into that cycle is we start to tell ourselves that that's all there is to life um, and we start to feel that, you know, actually, we don't stop to to really think and assess, are we happy with where we are? Because we've done everything that, our, that society expects us to do, things that our parents doing, yeah. expected us to do, things that we're supposed to do, that's right, mm-hmm. things that our friends are doing, our colleagues are doing, we're all like everybody else. But actually, am I happy with that? Nobody does that. Nobody stops to do that. Very few, very, very few people stop and take stock of their life. Am I happy with where I am? Where? What do I want out of life? Where am I going? Some people will have those goals. But, I mean, I've been doing these talks now about mental wealth for long enough. When I ask that question about how many of you set goals um, and know exactly what you want, not even out of life, just this year, I get, oh, well, I set a few New Year's resolutions. But I um, you know, broke those, like, <laughs> quite quickly. There's, we just don't do that. Again, it's not something that we're taught. And actually, why don't we? Because that's where fulfillment comes from. You know, I, I'm happy with where I'm going this year, next five years in my life. I'm living my best life. Um, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but actually, why aren't we doing that? We only have one life. We don't know how long we're here for. Why live it in, you know, feeling miserable? Uh, and I certainly did for years. I will never go back there again because now that I've experienced life on the other side, um, you know, and I, within, I'll tell you, within. Uh, six weeks of me going to that first coaching event, I came off the antidepressants. I only took oh, them for wow. a year. I, t- I came off them very That's quickly good. because I didn't need them. Yeah. I just didn't need them anymore. I yeah. came off them. I, my mindset had completely changed. Yeah. I viewed the world differently. And instead of me feeling like, oh, well, this is just my lot. And you know, I've got to do stick doing what I'm doing and I can't make any changes. I made some very, very big changes mm-hmm. um, quite quickly, in fact. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to make big changes in their life, but it made me stop and assess, what's working for me and what isn't working for me and the things that aren't working for me i need to get rid of those it's toxic so i need to and that includes toxic relationships which is really difficult particularly if it's family um but sometimes you have to for your own happiness and your own sanity if you know that there are people in your life that make you feel horrendous and negative and they drain you of all your energy then you know what distance yourself. I'm not suggesting you cut cut people out, but you just distance yourself naturally and it happens. I now, I'm at that point where um, if I'm around somebody who naturally drains my energy and is quite negative... I I mean, I'm perfectly civil, but I just, I don't, I don't willingly spend time with them yeah. because I can feel that drain on me. Um, yeah. So
0: I just, I just don't. Yeah. Um, it's good that you, you're, you're really looking after yourself now by the signs of it compared to what you, what you, before you were kind of putting yourself through a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, but now you're really, you know, taking control of the situation.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of it, so, I mean, partly I've talked about, Having a goal and no understanding where you want to be in life, taking that time to stop and assess where you are and making some changes, but the other really, really big part of it, and this is where a lot of anxiety and depression comes from, is um, self worth yeah. and what you think about yourself and what you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. Those two very and they're two very, very big but different things. Number one is what you think about yourself, and number one is what you tell yourself. Very they are closely linked, um, and uh, you know. When you're at the bottom of that funnel and you're internalizing everything, the main default position is victim, is that you'll make everything about you, even if it's not about you. And it's not a conscious thing. It's it's just that's where you are. And so it's, oh, you know what? Um, that person they you know I I sort of said hello to them and they didn't really say hello back that means that you know I must have done something they're not happy with me I'm not good enough I'm not obviously a good friend or I'm not worthy or all these things and they've usually been ingrained in us from a very early age and there's quite a lot of scientific um, uh, research about this in terms of everything that you know the sort of the belief system that we put together about how the world should be is ingrained in us by the age of 7 because we we vibrate at a much lower frequency up until the age of 7 from the age of 7 we have more consciousness and so um you know everything that we've seen up until that point we observe it we soak it in and it actually um forms what i call and i call them um the individual glasses that we all wear which is what we see the world through yeah. so you will see the world through your own individual glasses it's like our core beliefs yeah and it's it's it'll be things that you've experienced and witnessed and observed up until the age of seven things that your parents have taught you your own experiences those types of things they will shape the way you see the world and so you're wearing your own very very individual pair of glasses and if your pair of glasses specifically is full of, of little self-worth for yourself because of things that might have happened to you as a child, because of some, something someone might have said to you one day yeah. that you've internalised. If that's the way that you see the world, that is how you'll see everything going forward. And that's why it's really important to deal with that self-worth um, um, and that kind of what am I telling myself, um, uh, two very different um, issues there. So the self-worth bit, and you know, obviously, uh, Naomi, I met you at the um, RPS uh, Women in Leadership conference where I talked about talking to yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And I know this sounds absolutely mad, but it genuinely there's two reasons why talking to yourself in the mirror is important and it covers both the self-worth and the um, inner communication what you tell yourself. So firstly, if you can't stand to look at yourself in the mirror naked. If you can't do that, um then, you know, how on earth are you ever going to be able to feel confident in yourself and present yourself out to the world and feel confident in your ability to deal with whatever life throws at you it's got to come from within you have to love yourself if you want people other people to love you and if people don't love you it doesn't matter because if you have love for yourself it really doesn't matter what other people think because what other people think about you they're going to say things anyway they're going to say things they're going to do things again you can't control it you can only control your response but if you feel good within yourself what anyone else says about you it's like water off a duck's back because you know within your heart that you're a good person and what you stand for and who you are and the first part of that is looking at yourself and accepting yourself every part of yourself for how imperfect it might be yes you might have you know a flabby belly or you might have a big bum or you might have bingo wings or you might whatever it might be for you um, you know whatever it is accept it and love it wholly only when you do that that you know you're just changing your idea around self-worth and it's coming from um you know rather than the thoughts that you're telling yourself it's coming from actually i'm looking at myself in the mirror and i'm telling myself i love this i love that i love this you have to do it daily it's quite a discipline Mm -hmm. um and then the other thing about talking in the mirror is is the the i am statement so um i recently came back from a conference in um florida which was all about mindset and all about um self-worth and what we sort of tell ourselves and um it's really interesting there's been a couple of things like this on social media where Um, it's been people almost shouting at the camera and they're saying some really awful things like, you're stupid, you're fat, you're ugly, you're no good, what's the point? Why are you even bothering and then right at the end it will say you would never say this to somebody else so why do you talk to yourself like this really hit home you know when you watch that and you think god i said things like that to myself and you do Mm -hmm. you'll kick yourself and say oh you know i'm this i'm that easily done right um but you know talking to yourself like that over a period of time again it's just it's really not helpful and actually um the conference that i went to was talking about Subconscious versus conscious thought. So, subconscious thought um, is, is actually forms the pre- pre- predominant amount of our thought. Ninety-five percent of all the thinking that we do is subconscious. Only five percent is conscious. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I didn't realize it was so high. And the thing is, if you think about it, if only five percent of your thought is the conscious thought that you're consciously thinking, and ninety-five percent you don't even realize you're thinking it, it starts to you start to realize how your subconscious really fuels everything that you do and think in your world so if in your subconscious you're telling yourself things like i'm no good i'm not worthy i'm stupid i'm fat i'm ugly or you know i'm not attractive whatever it might be whatever that thought might be if you're telling yourself that 95 percent of the time what do you think is going to happen that's going to manifest in everything that you do yeah. whether you see it or not it will and so one of the only ways of reprogramming your subconscious there's two ways first is hypnosis <laughs> and the, um, the second one Is repetition, repetitive thought. And that's why people do affirmations. So standing in the mirror and and saying the I am statements, what you're doing, it might sound you might feel really silly and you might think, oh, my God, if people could see me, what would they think? Actually, what you're doing is you're reprogramming your mind to think positive things you're reprogramming that subconscious to think positive things instead of negative so that when something happens to you so when you say hello to that person and they don't say hello back to you or they they might give you a bit of a funny look instead of saying oh god why are they looking me like that i've done something oh you know it's because i'm you know they think i'm no good blah 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 you think Oh, okay. That was a bit odd. They didn't really look at me, but okay, because I know I'm confident in myself. It's not about me. That's actually probably something that's going on for them yeah. in their life. They're probably having a bad day yeah. or they've probably got something on their mind. And you make it you don't make it about yourself anymore because I know I am, you know, I am whatever it might be. I am strong. I am um, you know, I am intelligent. I am sexy. Whatever it might be for you. Whatever yeah. word resonates for you mm-hmm. because you have that in the, in your core. Whatever any, anything else happens around your world, you just don't let it. You don't let it affect you in the same way, and so that's why now um, I know I won't go back down there again. Because firstly, I've m- worked on myself so much, um, and so I know that things don't derail me in the way that they used to, and and also because um, God, I've tried I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, firstly, it was around the um, I won't be knocked from the from the self worth angle. I guess, but also because um, you start to recognize your own negative pattern of thinking.
0: Yeah,
1: so you can correct them. And it comes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it comes again to that stopping and assessing. Because when you're in that moment and you're thinking these things, you just can't see the wood for the trees. But if you actually take yourself out of that situation, really think about, well, you know, why did I think that? Um, what is that really helping me? Is that serving me? No, it's not. Okay, so I'm going to choose to think about it in a different way. Um, and so you naturally become more positive over time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's what mental wealth is. That's the whole point is that, is that it's understanding how do I show up day to day? What happens to me under stress? And actually, I'm going to choose a different way to respond to this because I can. Um, and that's kind of what, what, what mental health is about. Um, and it's absolutely the case that you can. Um, and so when you're choosing a different way to respond, you naturally, when you start to go down your default patterns, it's not to say that you won't ever again, because you know we're all going to have things in our life that affect us, right? We're going to have bereavement, sickness, we might lose a job, we might, you know, lose a relationship, we might have stress at work, whatever it might be, there are things that are going to affect you and there are things that are going to take you back down to the bottom of that funnel because that's just, that's just life. But it's your choice whether you stay there yeah. or you pull yourself out. And so now I I can generally tell when I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm I'm having a bit of a bad day. I can feel it in myself. Mm-hmm. So there are certain coping mechanisms and strategies that i do yeah. that now i just take myself out of there and i just choose a different way yeah. and it really is i know i'm probably making it sound really easy it once you understand why and how you react and respond to things it becomes much easier to choose a different way
0: that was heartbreak Channa discussing her own experiences with mental health if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe to cnd podcasts on itunes or your preferred android app